Welcome to our show, Calm is Hot, short for Communication is Hot. I'm your host, Jade. My pronouns are she, her, hers. Storytelling is a huge part of how humankind has communicated for centuries, and it's played a crucial role in my development, growth, successes, and magical connections on my journey of life. I believe each of us has a story to share. My goal is to create space for underrepresented voices to be able to do so and improve our communication skills so we may be the best versions of ourselves and exist in harmony. Make sure you stay tuned weekly for new episodes by yours truly and with guests. Stay in touch on Instagram at calm underscore is underscore hot. Details in the show notes below. Lastly, all content is intended for educational purposes only. Let's do this. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Calm is Hot. I'm your host, Jade, pronouns she, her, and I'm excited to bring a very special friend and a guest who I've known for a few years now who works in the real estate industry in the Bay Area of California. So welcome, friend. Thank you, Jade. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm excited to have you on the show. Yeah, well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah. Would you like to introduce yourself, tell everybody just a little bit about who you are? Yeah, my name's Houston Garcia, uh, pronounced he, him. San Francisco native. My nickname is Houston, not from Texas, as I like to tell people and introduce myself. No relation to Texas. Born and raised here. Went to school down in Santa Clara and right out of getting out of school for poli-sci, I went into real estate kind of unknowingly. One of my friends said, oh, you might like real estate. I said, okay, why not? And it's what I've been doing ever since. And I actually love it. So I guess that's what I'll be talking about today. That's so cool. Thank you so much for giving us a little context as to who you are. Now, because you grew up in the Bay Area, you have probably seen it change. Quite a bit. Yeah. The older I get, the more rapid the changes are and the more obvious, I think, too, especially. Yeah. Yeah. I only moved to the Bay Area like six years ago. And when I moved, there was still a little more, a little more artistic culture present and I think it was it was like just a little different and now it's just like it's just a tech city I feel and I don't want to do a disservice by saying that to the artists and the people who are local community members who are working to preserve some of the beautiful pockets of San Francisco that we have but it does feel like overwhelmingly things are moving in a tech business focused direction. You said it so quickly. Yeah, it's definitely, you know, it's always changing. I still, I still think San Francisco has, and the Bay area as a whole has its soul, but I think that'll be difficult to change, but it's always still, you know, like a transitory city. It's becoming like New York or London, that sort of city where it's like a lot of people are coming and going. Yeah. And especially going because of the pandemic. Yeah. I'm like, why would I pay $4,000 a month of rent if I can work from home? Yeah. And a lot of people left. 
Yeah. And as a side note, I think a lot of the people that have stayed in San Francisco are the people like the artists, small businesses, people who have roots here, but their families were born and raised for like third, fourth generation that are, you know, kind of fighting to stay here. So I think that's, they keep the, the essence of San Francisco alive. That's so encouraging to hear. And I hear that from my students as well, who were born and raised and living in the Bay. But I want to, I do want us to kind of dive in. I, I yeah. don't get ahead of myself and I could talk about the city forever. <laughs> yeah, I can too. And we do have a very clear focus today, which is talking about the housing market and real estate and what it is that you do here in the Bay. So before we dive into that, for folks who might know you or might not yet know you, what is something that may be surprising to them to learn about you? Spanish is my first language. So I'm half Latino, half white, and I didn't learn English until I was in I think like preschool or kindergarten. So learned Spanish, only spoke that for a few years and then learned English in school just to have a second language. So it's always kind of funny to mess with friends like, oh, I can speak Spanish. They don't believe me. It's like my first language. So yeah. Oh, nice. That's yeah, awesome. I, yeah. I like to keep it up, you know, that, that side of my, you know, heritage, um, only speaking Spanish to certain family members and keeping it up with certain friends and then English with everyone else. That's Just a beautiful. daily way to remind myself where I come from and who I am. I could not be more excited and proud for you. I feel like our heritage and where we come from is such an integral part of who we are in terms of our culture and mm -hmm. recognizing <clears throat> that. And I want to call attention to you saying Bay Area native, mm -hmm. right? And that term, like who really is a Bay Area native. And I would argue, definitely not me. And unless you are indigenous, right? Like I think there's a, not to call you out, but I think a lot of people use that term and it's like, we can look to our heritage and kind of see where we come from, see where our family comes from. And for you to be proud of that, for you to recognize that and Embrace it is so yeah. beautiful and not want to lose it, but to have a desire to cherish it. I really respect and admire that. No, thank you. Yeah, it's beautiful, uh, especially because living in the United States, so many of us experience that need and that pressure to fit in and to mm -hmm. assimilate. And we'll, I'll yeah. be talking about that later on in the show, but I'm proud of you for owning it, thank embracing you. it. Being you. Yeah. Now let's dive in. Okay. Okay. We have identified that you work as in the real estate industry yep. in San Francisco and greater Bay area. What motivates you to do this? Obviously it's a very fast paced profession and, you know, compensations well, but I think really just enjoying the work. I really wouldn't be doing it if I didn't enjoy it. I went to college for political science, decided not to go to law school because that's the track I was going to go into with, you know, for law school to go into politics. And I thought, okay, that's not my passion. You know, it's not really what I want to do. I can't see myself doing this for 30, 40 years. And, you know, just fell into real estate because when my friend said, oh, try it, you might like that. I thought, oh, sales, uh, don't like that, but I like real estate. It's always been something, you know, interested in. So that's kind of how I got into it. And I guess I'll talk about it soon, you know maybe the next prompt, but yeah, it's just been something that I really, really enjoy the actual work of real estate. I know what I'm doing and I love doing it. So. 
That's awesome. And you literally do not have to uh, regulate yourself. If you're excited, oh, okay, okay. Building, you can be like, let's roll into the next one. I'm ready. Yeah, okay. So that does lead us to our next prompt, which is the question, how has your experience been working in real estate in the Bay Area? Yeah, so I would say it's very geared towards, and not to be ageist or anything like that, it's very geared towards middle-aged uh, people, I would say. So the average age of a realtor is around 55, like average age. And this is a survey done like a year or two ago, like the National Association of Realtors. But it's true. I see a lot of colleagues that are, you know, I would say some that are younger, they're 20s, some even 18, right out of high school. But the majority are mid-50s, early 60s. And quite a few of my colleagues are actually former attorneys, corporate attorneys, and they hated, they went into law, they were attorneys for five, 10 years. And then they said, this is too much compensation is great, but horrible quality of life. Let me transition to something more that should be more similar line of work. That's like has legal background real estate, but it's not as life trading, I would say, <laughs> you know, just no life like as in corporate law. So. A lot of them come from that legal background and yeah, they're 50s, 60s, but it's interesting to see that, to see what will happen with the shift, the generational shift. It's like, okay, if all these realtors retire in the next five, 10 years that are, you know, the everyday realtors, what's going to happen? So anyone that's under 40, I would say it's considered young in real estate. So in 15, 20 years, I'll still be like young or maybe like, you know, average age. I thought the younger, the better. And it's really a, a business in an industry where the longer you're in it, the better for your business, but also the more you learn and the more you see too. So a lot of people tell me it's, it's great that you got in really young. I shouldn't have waited 10, 20 years. Right. And I do see that from some colleagues that are, you know, my, my peers in their twenties that are, you know, doing this while they're, you know, on the younger side of things too. And they're in it to last. If you make it after the first two years, then you're usually fine. So, you know, I, I, went into real estate right out of college. First two years are like, you make it or you break it. And a lot of people just want to do real estate. And they think it's, they see everything on Instagram. They think, oh, you're selling something every week. That's not the reality of it. So if, whether you're on the younger side of the curve or already established career, just transitioning from like tech or some other sales job into real estate, the first two years are the hardest. And it's make or break it. And I'm, I've been doing this now since November of 2015. So I guess this will be year seven, six, something like that. So it's past the five-year mark. I've definitely established like who I am and who my clientele are. One of my mentors would always ask me, who are your people, right? And he would say in a joking way, who are your people, right? And I thought, okay, this sounds like a silly question, but the sooner you find who your people are, meaning like who you like to work with and who are the clientele that you attract, that's your niche. Like you'll enjoy working with who you work with and they'll enjoy working with you. So that's kind of you know, where my passion for real estate stems from, really. So finding my people. <laughs> and it takes a while to find yourself and then who you like to work with. So it's it's a learning process, really. That's so cool and insightful. I feel like there's like a million different things that popped into my head that I want to... I know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, because it was so... That was so action-packed. And there's so many layers there. I mean, we've got the whole like age phenomenon... I certainly don't want to be discouraging to anyone who is older, who's looking to get into this field. You said 40s considered young. And I think oh. that that is actually, I don't, I don't know if this is the case, but I would argue 
just like America's obsession with youth, it feels almost comforting to hear that like 40 is young in this industry. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah. I know that during the pandemic, a lot of people were talking about getting a real estate license because they were like, mm -hmm. what can I do? How can I survive? How can I provide myself and those yeah. who I love with housing? I think a lot of people were really put in positions of scarcity, of yeah. fear of loss, of just a basic human right, which is like housing in Virginia. Yeah. And I think, I think that motivated a lot of people who I saw on social media say like, mm -hmm. I'm quitting my job and I'm getting my real license yeah. or like, I'm not doing this whole dance anymore. I'm, I'm, if capitalism wants to fight dirty, I will put on my gloves, get my real estate license and I'll take care of myself and my family or whatnot. And so, yeah. It's a, there's a lot of different motivating factors why why I feel and see people pursuing this, but I'm excited to know that like it's an industry that you can still get into almost oh, yeah. any age in life. Definitely. I, I'd argue actually argue the opposite. Um kind of what you said where it's, you know, like forties refreshing or that it's considered young. It I would say it's easier to get in, you know, if you're forty or fifty or sixty into real estate just to shift. Cause you know, like I said, those corporatarians, they were in the mid fifties transitioned very easily, just like a seamless, you know, it's like you have to build your business, but you have, you know, you have some clientele already, your sphere of influence, your friends, your family, you kind of grown and nurtured, you know, the longer you're alive, the more people you have in your life. Right. So you kind of build who you are. I would say it's much harder, very, very difficult for younger people, you know, right out of high school or college to just, you know, go into real estate because I think it's really just a a life experience thing. It's a big learning curve. So you learn about the business, but as also you learn about yourself and who you are and how you work, because in this industry, no one's going to tell you what to do. That's the worst part about it. So if you're younger, you usually work on a team if, you know, or find a mentor, right? But for me, I found a mentor and I was never on a team. I was never part of like, you know, someone's like, you know, junior agent. I was just on my own. So that was very difficult, but I learned a lot just by having a mentor and, you know, learning the pros and the cons, the mistakes, the successes. I think that's what a lot of younger people find difficult in real estate where it's like, Hey, it's like, I don't know who I am yet. And it's a really steep learning curve. It's like how to be my own boss, discipline myself. Cause no one's going to tell you what to do. You either sink or you swim. And it's really trial and error for those first, you know, two years or so. And it's hard to be in an industry where no one's going to pay you unless you make a sale. No one's going to tell you if you mess up, unless you have that mentor, you know, team really. So that's why I think it's more difficult on for the younger crowd, really. Mm -hmm. Getting a real estate license is easy, but like actually being in real estate and doing it and disciplining yourself and lasting, that's the difficult part, really. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and building a network of people. Building a network. Yeah. And when you're yeah. 19, 18, 20, unless exactly. you're in an affluent area and all of your friends come from money, you're yeah. not really going to be selling houses to your friends. Yeah. Or on that team that has those leads, like you're part of someone's team and they, they trust you because they have a team lead and all that. So it's, it's difficult. Yeah. It's gotta yeah. be this kind of, kind of in a way brings us to our next point, uh -huh. which is how does communication play a role in your job? And I want to be clear here that it is obvious to me that you have to communicate with people. Very, if very. Work, if you want yes. to survive. 
Very and good. So if you want to go in more in depth or give specific examples or just generally kind of uh, respond, feel free. Yeah, yeah. And I think I could hit two birds and one stone with those prompts, actually. Communications obviously very important in real estate. Communicate with the other agents, with the title company, with the clients, most importantly, right? Letting people know what's going on with their listing or with the offer. And in this, I would say this society that we have of instant gratification, everyone wants response immediately, right? And it's kind of hard to control that if I can't get responses from other people, right? So I can do my best to get clients' responses, but if I'm waiting for the other agent or title company, it's, it's a little bit difficult, but it's always primarily now it's like text and emails for something that's very important phone call, but most of the work is really a lot of screen-based texts and emails lately. And going on the communication part, it's, you know, instant gratification, but I think it's a little bit hard to set boundaries too for myself, but also for clients and agents, because everyone thinks, Hey, it's 24 seven. You don't have office hours, right? I know some agents that are very successful that do have set hours. They try not to do anything after five or six. They have a family, husband, wife, kids, dogs, you know, they have a, a life, right? Not to say that I don't have a life too, but for me, it's, I would say I'm more cognizant of, I would say my clients that, okay, during the day, it might be a little bit quieter on certain days, but other days might be busier in the evenings after they're off work. So I have to kind of adjust that and have calls at seven or eight o'clock at night or, you know, emails at nine or 10, if it's something very important. So setting those boundaries, it's a little bit difficult for me personally, because I like to always be on the go responsive to my client's needs. If it's something that's not immediate though, lately I have found setting some boundaries. Well, okay, I'll respond the next morning. I'm watching a movie with my family or having dinner with my friends where, you know, it's a little bit healthier for me to set a boundary where it's not something super pressing, but it is a kind of an industry of, Hey, kind of on response ASAP sort of thing. So it's always, you know, stay on top of communication. And if you don't have an answer, just, you know, tell people it's like, Hey, waiting for an answer, but it's like a 24 seven open, never closed industry. <laughs> and I think that's one of the biggest misconceptions that I had about the industry. I was like, Oh, uh, most of the jobs I've worked that are conventional jobs have had set schedules, set hours, yep. I leave job. And I noticed your subtle shade. Don't think I missed it when you were like, I don't have office hours. Yeah, <laughs> I designated office hours. That's I didn't think about that, boundaries. but now it's a little bit uh, subtle then. <laughs> now, jokes aside, jokes aside. Oh, uh, that's pretty funny. No, that was really funny. I appreciated that. I was like, unintended. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> jokes aside i think that what you're communicating uh, about is your experience and i appreciate you being so honest about this reality setting boundaries as being crucial to you managing mental health prioritizing still being able to have a life while also yeah. having a job and i think that many of us struggle with this even outside of me having office hours, I get yeah. emails from students at 10 p.m., 1 a.m., high anxiety, and they just want like an immediate response. And yep. I'm like, no. So I've also similarly learned to set boundaries and say I don't respond to emails past a certain time unless it is something really urgent. Exactly. Um, so I think and that's... Oh, mm -hmm. I'm sure I'm speaking for you as well. I want to give our best 
and be a white glove concierge service. Like that's what I'm here for, but it's also one of clients and students to do respect that, but sometimes it's, it's not respected. <laughs> totally. 100%. Yeah. I love that you called attention to the instant gratification culture that we live in yeah. where we want things, we want them now, and we don't understand why it can't happen fast. Yeah. And I think that that also doesn't, it doesn't account for the reality that we're human. And I think a lot of people experience burnout. They're constantly trying to output fast enough and, and enough. And, and also people can burn out from constantly being stimulated. Yes. And having yes. their anxiety heightened, their emotions heightened. If that stays consistent, that can also lead to burnout. It's, it's yeah. Especially, I know real estate's a very emotional industry. For me, I like to take the emotion out of it for my clients because my job is to watch their back, watch their, you know, their finances, their house. It's usually the biggest purchase of someone's life. So I like to, you know, take the emotion out of it. And that's what I'm here for. Watch their back, their interests. But for clients, it's always, you know, it can, they might think it won't be emotional, but it, whether they're a first time buyer or an experienced investor. It's always emotional in some sense. It's, you know, it's a lot of money. It's a lot of investment. It's just a big moment in their lives and it does, you know, get to people. So I like to kind of st take a step back and see the facts and not be emotional about it. Cause I can't add more stress and emotion to my clients' lives. My job is to be the, the sponge, I would say for, <laughs> for the stress. Tell them, don't stress out, put the stress on me. That's what I'm here for. Let me absorb the stress. Like, you know, I don't want you to worry about anything. That is so generous of you. That is so compassionate. And the fact that you are intentional and self-aware and aware that you're working in an industry with people who are very, very stressed with people whose lives are in many ways going to drastically change yeah. or not. Yeah. It's just I don't... Really very admirable in my humble opinion, that you maintain so much awareness and intention to hold space for people. And I know that you're saying, I don't get emotional, but I think part of being in tune with your emotions is also, I'm hearing you hold space for people whose emotions are heightened. And I, so I just wanted to call attention to that in case anyone's like, wow, you know, no emotion. And if they were paying attention, they would no, no. um, already, but yeah, I, yeah. you know, I think it's like, it's kind of like, for me, it's like, okay, they're buying a million dollar house or, you know, it's like their first purchase or they're selling it. It's like, for me, it's kind of like no big deal. It's like, okay, I, it's, you know, money on paper, right? Or it's like a, it's a big transaction. It's like, for me, it's kind of like no big deal because I know what I'm doing and it's like, I have my client's best interest at heart, right? For them, it's like you said, their lives are changing drastically, right? And there's no room for me to be emotional to them like that. You know, it's like be stressed out to them where I do show emotions for the better or the worse. Right. And there's very few instances where I have gotten, you know, very angry. It's to the other agents if there's cause for it, but that's where I would show my more emotions more to the other agents, because mm. usually in a transaction, there's one bad party, not to go into too nitty gritty, but it's usually usually not my clients, but it's usually, okay, the other agent or the other client is kind of not great. There's like one cog that's like not working in the machine. Right. And the other agent's client may be that one usually, and they know it. So it's a balancing act on a wire, right? It's like, we can't be 
yeah, too demanding, but. Yeah. That's intense. And I, I want to lead us forward into the next month based on this, which yeah. is the reality of the cost of housing in the city. And I'm yeah. not in a position to be purchasing. I think many people are not. Many people are angry about that yeah. reality. I think many people have a lot of different feelings about the housing market, especially those who are like you and I, who have witnessed it just the prices skyrocket. And a lot of my students who come from all over the world really are shocked. They're like, oh yeah. my gosh, everything is just so expensive here. So I did pull up a, a statistic and I guess as of September 2021, San Francisco was the most expensive city in the United States to live in. I think New York surpassed only by like a very, very tiny amount neck and neck yeah. yeah 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 i feel like they fluctuate back and forth <clears throat> yeah so passed in uh october and as of december 2021 the median house uh, is sold for one million dollars in san francisco that to me is telling me owning a home having like long-term housing is like not an uh, uh, housing security in terms of being a homeowner isn't an option for me as a teacher. So do you want to kind of speak more to that reality, the market, uh, some of the barriers that keep people? Uh, yeah. Well, I guess just on that housing data for a house house in San Francisco, like for a two bedroom house, it would be about $1.4, $1.5 million for an actual house, the average, you know, price. And for three bedrooms, high ones, Four bedrooms, low to mid twos. Anything under, well, I'll, here's a little question for you. What do you think is considered like the threshold, like the limit for like an entry level budget, I would say? Like just for a young couple or a family, like what's the upper limit for like entry level? Not first time buyer, but like what's considered affordable? I'm not sure because I know that in San Francisco, a hundred thousand dollar income for a family is considered poverty yeah so i don't actually know the answer to that question because no matter what i say i'm probably going to be retired. so anything under three million dollars is considered entry level so it's let that sink in it's kind of crazy it is crazy for a house anything under three million dollars for condos it's a little bit less condos are a bit, little bit less several for you know families but for a house anything under three million in the bay area in general though san francisco san mateo county san jose is going to be enough people can afford a house under three million dollars and that's saying something right there it's like that's there's something wrong with the market right there in east bay it's anything under two two and a half million it's considered very very affordable like Oakland, Alameda County. And then in Marin, it's, you know, a little bit more, it's a little bit more expensive. But the Bay Area is, you know, the geography is a little bit spread out. So there's a lot of thresholds that can be considered affordable. In other places of the country, of course, you can buy a mansion for $3 million. It's, it's crazy. This is crazy. And the entire time for listeners who are participating in the podcast, I have just been making shocked faces. And I don't <laughs> know why, because I think I knew this. And me as a teacher in San Francisco, I just feel kind of like, why am I living here? <laughs> what the um, crazy that that is so 
Yeah. Well, the things that keep the Bay Area so expensive, though, I mean, obviously, there's lots of, you know, well-paying jobs and, you know, people have savings, family money, they can afford the houses here. But the reason why housing is also so expensive, too, is lack of construction and politics. Local politics, neighbors, local laws, it all kind of contributes into, it's not just one reason, right? It's like the neighbors don't need to build or, you know, the local laws, the geography, it's all these things kind of go together. It's like San Francisco, seven by seven, where are you going to build, right? The peninsula, much more room to build, but also a little bit more restrictive. Also, the cost to build is very, 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 very expensive. It'll be a lot of money to build a house from ground up compared to building, you know, new condos, right? So all these things, you know, it's like the local laws, the neighbors, geography, the cost to build, they kind of all go together to making the Bay Area very expensive to live because there's no new inventory, right? The prices can't come down because... There's only so many properties, like there's one house, 20 people want it. What are you going to do? Right? 19 people. Okay. Add to that the next year, that same house is going to be 25 people that want it. Right? One per one family gets it the next year. It's going to be the same thing over and over again. So that's why prices keep going up. There's no new inventory. Really? The demand's always there and you know, there's no new houses really for sale. It's very limited. People live here for many different reasons, right? Why do we live here? It's, it's fantastic. So, I mean, some people might not agree that Bay Area is a great place to live, but a lot of people who live here do. So compared to London or Sydney or Hong Kong, you know, other world-class cities, I wouldn't say we're quite there yet, but we're, you know, we are definitely a world-class city. We're one of the cheapest if you look at it on a price per square foot basis, you know, compared to those cities. So I think... I don't care. That doesn't help me buy a house. It doesn't. But one of those <laughs> biggest barriers to buying a house... And there's a lot of discrepancies, I would say. And I tell, I work with a lot of first-time buyers that think, hey, I can't ever buy a house. Last year, I had at least three or four deals, especially with some personal friends of mine, that actually got a house, particularly in Oakland, really great areas in Oakland, actually, for quite under asking. And, you know, probably have two to $300,000 in equity because I got them really, really, really good deals. Great timing in the market took advantage of certain deals and, you know, it, it worked out for them, but it's just really knowing, knowing the market, knowing where the deals are, and then knowing how to get in the market and getting in the market. The biggest barrier is really the down payment. So not really the income. It's really just, do you have enough money to put the down payment for the loan? That's what I've learned as well, that many yeah. people are like, I have the income, but yes. my yeah. humble understanding of this industry is that you have to actually have a large amount of money up front. Um, depending on the house and the area, right? It, it could be as low as three and a half percent, three percent, five percent, which is not a lot if you think of it that way. But then if you look at the price of the house, it could be a lot, right? If you're looking at a million dollar house, what's five percent of that? Fifty thousand dollars, right? So, and then reserves, and then the lender might want you to have a year's worth of reserves to so add another, you know, seventy thousand, right? So it just depends. But the biggest impediment is the down payment. And that's a whole lending conversation, which I won't get into because I'm not a lender, but that's the biggest barrier, I would say. Wow. Yeah. Aye, aye, aye. Okay, we're covering a lot. Are you okay if we move forward? Yeah, yeah. And thank you for recognizing your boundaries and limitations with the knowledge that you put out into the world while also speaking to some of that stuff. Now, how about tips to help people 
who are looking to rent mm-hmm. or buy in general, doesn't have to be the Bay Area, tips for people to prevent being taken advantage of. Yep. For renters, I wouldn't say renters use agents. There's not many agents that work with renters. So I would say just really read the fine print, know the local laws, know the landlord, or not the landlord, the tenant attorneys, because there's tenant attorneys and landlord attorneys. And usually they work with just tenants or just landlords. So know the laws. And luckily in the Bay Area, we have a lot of um, legal firms, especially some that are pro bono, that actually protect the tenants. So know what your rights are and know what the landlord's rights are if you're a renter, right? There's things the landlord can do that you think they might not be able to do. There's a lot of things that they can't do that you think they can do. So know what you're getting into and read the fine print and know the leases. Don't just sign everything willy-nilly. So read the fine print. That's the biggest thing for renters, I would say. And don't be afraid to negotiate too. If it's a, a space that's not rent controlled, so if it's like a newer condo that's market rate, you know, some places might be cheaper because they aren't getting as many tenants right now with people wanting to avoid very expensive rentals in the city that they can't go enjoy everything like they used to during the pandemic. So read the fine print and don't be afraid to negotiate for renters. I can speak to that as yeah. a renter in the Bay Area for the past six years, six-ish years that I used to be so afraid of thinking that I had any power or agency in these conversations. I used to think I should just be grateful for what I get. I should just be grateful that I have housing. And while everything is so competitive and there is so much demand, Mm -hmm. I don't want to make a fuss. And what I've learned over the six years of being a renter is that you absolutely have the right to negotiate, to clearly read your lease agreement with your landlord and say, this part doesn't make sense. Can we revise it or even omit it? Can we delete it? Can we edit, modify? And I think that it's so helpful to hear you say, know your rights. Mm -hmm. Like I've dealt with eviction. I've dealt with so much so many different things that I never thought I would deal with that yeah led me to learn about my rights and so I will definitely put links to the uh, SF tenants union in the the description for this episode yeah every city and county has their own tenants union too um so they're definitely great resources to start out and then for people looking to buy or sell, have a good agent. That's, that's all I can say. Because <laughs> there's a lot that I can go into for that. But it's like really have a good agent because they'll have your back. So, And also tips to avoid getting scammed. When buying or selling? Well, well actually, even when rent is uh, in the housing market. like Yeah, this is the one tip that's most important actually for a scam. There's really not many scams that I see. I've never been involved in a scam. I've heard of scams happening, but this goes for renters or buyers. Be careful when you wire money because there's always, I always tell my, my clients, my buyers and sellers, I'm never going to ask you to wire money because wire fraud is real. People are spoofing landlords, sellers, buyers, escrow companies, agents, like they're spoofing their emails and pretending to be them or they're hacking in. So don't wire money unless you really confirm who they are with a phone call. If you get an email, make sure, hey, did you send this email? And who's who's actually asking you to wire money? Because there's only two times in a deal where the buyer ever has to wire money. 
And that's why I tell them. So I tell them, I'm never going to ask you. So no, if you get an email from me telling you that it's a lie, it's not real. What are those claims? For a buyer, it's the earnest money, the security deposit. So when you're, you know, buying a place, you put it usually 3% of the purchase price into escrow. And then at the end, when you're wiring the rest of the down payment. And then for a renter, the same thing, I'm assuming it's like, okay, here's a security deposit. And then you give the month's uh, rent and all that. So just be very careful. With so I want to speak to this because I actually called you about this last year. So yeah. I was looking to rent a space and the web, the, the website, the ad had photos, had a legit yep. person they, that I was communicating with. They even sent me like a lease to my e a lease via email, et cetera. So everything was looking legit. And then they said that they wanted a security deposit. Now, let mm -hmm. me be clear. I had not met this person in person, mm -hmm. nor had I viewed the property. So those were two red flags for me. I was like, I haven't seen the property yet. And they're already trying to get me to sign the lease and send the money. Yep. And I haven't met the person and it just started to feel a little questionable. Yep. Then they insisted that I send the money for the security, security deposit within like 24 hours. And that made me feel even more conflicted because I, I felt like I was having unnecessary pressure put on me to send the yeah. money and not even getting a chance to see the property. Exactly. And in all my six years of renting in the Bay, I have always yeah. been encouraged to go view a property either with an agent or yep. with a landlord who will actually walk, like take me through. Yep. Correct. And that to me feels like the, the correct process, the way that people yeah. feel about it. And so if you are newer to renting in the Bay, Definitely insist on either doing a virtual tour yep. or an in-person tour before sending any They're not going to want you to wire the money anyways, because it'll be a house to return it and everything if you don't, if you back out. So it's like, always go see the property. You know, it's, they're not going to accept an offer. Like if you're buying, if you don't see the property usually. So same with renting. It's like they want you to see it and not make a hassle for everyone. It's like both sides. So yeah. And this person ended up asking for gift cards. Big red flag also. Never, never buy gift cards or anything like that. Bitcoin. They were like, go to Walmart, buy, buy $500 worth of gift cards. And then yeah. me and I was like, okay, this is a scam. Yeah. It's usually a check <laughs> or like a okay. wire deposit at a bank. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just wild. All right. Now. We're coming to a close and I'm sure that I'm going to invite you to be a guest again in the future. Oh, thank you. You're so fun. Your voice is so calming and you have so much insight to share about this industry. We barely just, we barely. I know, scratch the surface. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any final thoughts? Would you like to clarify anything you've said earlier? Would you like to add anything or... It's not as hopeless as it would seem. I mean, it seems like a crazy market and it is a crazy market, but there's always hope at the end of the channel, really. So whether you're buy looking to buy or, or rent, it just depends what your needs are. And at the end of the day, that's what I always tell clients. It's always about your needs. So find what's right for you and, you know, make it work somehow.
And by making it work somehow, you mean have them contact you. Yes, have them contact me. <laughs> Are, yeah, we'll, No, we'll... but I, I always tell clients, like, I'm not here, um, you know, to blow smoke. I always am here for your needs and not be like a pushy salesman. So find someone who can help you like that. So it's like, you're looking to buy or sell? Obviously, feel free to contact me. Happy to tell you, you know, not sure code anything. It's like, this could be possible. Or this won't be possible, right? And if you're looking to rent, you know, same thing. It's a little bit easier with renting, I think, than with buying, but they both present their challenges, really. Very unique sets of challenges. But uh, yeah, not all hope is lost. There's lots of resources and help for buyers or renters. Including the San Francisco Affordable Housing Act. And affordable housing can be purchased through the city of San Francisco. It's a lot yes, of the BMR program. Mm-hmm. It's yep. a lottery system. You apply, they review all the applications, and you might be able to get a house at an under market uh, rate. Yeah, yeah. Now they're, they're set by law. There's certain units within buildings, especially new construction, that are set like reserved for the BMR program. And sometimes, you know, the lottery, a lot of people set up and five names gets called and then no one wants it or they're not around or situation change. And then you get lucky or you could be the first one called. So it just, it's, it's literally luck of the draw. So let's talk about BMR housing in another episode. Okay. Yeah. That's a whole different uh, topic. Yeah. You're great. I am oh, so appreciative you. of you. Thank you so much. Thank uh, you for having me on. Appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Hopefully some folks have learned a new thing or two about this industry. Oh, and I'll drop my contact info. Oh, you can just email it to me. Okay. And I'll add it in all the bios. Okay. Sounds good. Thanks. Thank you. Have a good day.